Welcome to Everything Hurts, a podcast where we discuss everywhere the life sciences meets the biological sciences. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and this is my co-host, James Heathers. Hello, James. Hi. I like to keep my high firm and fruity. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> we can compare it. We can compare it with past ones. So, what is on your mind, James? What's on my mind? Yeah. That's a. This is you. I've got to work on your canned openings, man. What's on my mind? Well, the stuff we've been talking about for the last twenty minutes would be a probably a decent segue at this point. Yeah. But we'll get to that. All this content business. Um. Am I allowed to formally congratulate you? For for what? For having uh, an enormous novelty check and being the best-funded little burrito in the whole <laughs> of Toy Town. You can, you can. Thanks. There you go. Congratulations, you've done very well. Thank you. Um, for some who someone gave you a huge part of the cash. Who was it? Yeah, it was the uh, Novo Nordisk Foundation. So um, that's is that a very large drug company. That is a large drug company, but they right. Yeah, they do. Um, and this is their this is their scientific outreach foundation funding thing. Yep. And they gave you a ton of cash yep. to do. I'll be looking at uh, oxytocin system dysfunction as a common link between uh, severe mental illness and metabolic syndrome. Oh, okay. That is going to be uh, that is going to be obviously a relatively multidisciplinary project. Yes. So now they yeah, that takes a lot of cash. So they had to pony up a whole bunch of cash and give it to you. You are now boss of the pool. How do you feel? Yeah, it's good. Got a bit of bit, bit more independence now, but uh, I'll be able to focus on this full time for the next five years. Five oh, years. Five years. Oh, I love socialism. It's so good. I'll um I'll have a student as well, so there's just enough cash to ha- have a uh, PhD student, and good. um yeah, and a bit of extra cash as well, so I can um do some uh some analysis, oxytocin analysis in blood, and also cerebrospinal fluid, doing some spinal yeah. taps, some lumbar puncture. But the good thing is, uh, I'll actually be capitalising on the uh, amazing database that we have locally with a lot of imaging data. Uh, electrocardiogram, so we can look at HRV, um, but also cognitive mm, tasks. And um, that sounds boring. I mean, that sounds <laughs> very interesting. No, it's going to be great, and uh, it'll be a stepping stone for eventual oxytocin trials. But first, we have to actually understand the mechanism to see if there's anything there. But it's going to be cool. They'll be kick- you also need to know whether or not oxytocin does anything at all oh, we know. on macro-human <laughs> trials. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to... You need to make thoroughly sure that you're not a useless twat. We're, we're going to find that out as well. So I think it's um, good to do this yeah. stuff before we jump into the trials. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> It's good to make sure that your basic models work before you start trialing it on people. I think everyone agrees with you. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from the biobehavioral sciences when it comes to oxytocin and behavior. So, you know, now that all this metabolic stuff is, is really getting a lot more popular, it's a few human studies and a few animal studies. We're kind of where we're at maybe five mm. years ago for the behavioral stuff. So I think... You know, we should learn our lessons and do things right this time around before we start giving everyone oxytocin. Imagine that. It's like the perfect storm. Oxytocin, uh, you know, makes you lose weight. That's just, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Just think, please. Yeah. God help me. Do not let that become a thing. Yeah. So- I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine the amount of quarterbacking of pure horseshit I will have to do when people start writing to me about oxytocin making you lose the weightses. Yeah, so you can see why it's so important to actually understand 
what the heck is going on. So it's going to just be... just do all this research without talking about it, so it doesn't become a thing. Because <laughs> the moment it becomes a thing, there's going to be weeks of wading through people getting excited about it, and then the whole thing being debunked, and then people writing about it and being smug and terrifying. And you you can't just just do it quietly in the middle of the night under a blanket or something, will you? Yeah, but put it this way: um, the good thing about the clinical trial restriction is you actually have a peek at what people are doing. And uh, there are a few clinical yeah, trials happening right now. Um, but the thing is, if for every know, five registered clinical trials, there's probably another 20 people who are doing unregistered trials. So expect uh, a lot of stuff coming out over the next year or two. Hmm. Yeah, but I'm you know, genuinely curious to see uh, what's going to happen and what the actual mechanisms are. So it's going to be cool. Uh, I'll kick that off um, the next month or two. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll still be continuing with my uh, oxytocin and autism trial. Um, don't do any analysis there and all the HIV stuff. Well, aren't you a busy bee? Very, very busy. And on the back of that, you've decided also to start another podcast because you apparently are a glutton for punishment. <laughs> well, I mean, I have had a lot of fun doing this podcast, so I thought it'd be great to... Fun! Yeah, you, that's how you choose you, to characterize our serious work. You're not in, you're not enjoying this. What? <laughs> Who said I wasn't enjoying it? I just don't use the word fun. Yeah, but uh, no, I think this has been a, I think this has been a great experience. Um, so I will be starting up a new podcast, and it's going to be called the Startup Scientist. Where I'm going to be talking. Why did you just use the past tense? You just said this has been a great experience. Yeah, well, we, <laughs> it, it continues to be, and I hope to be. Ah, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's going to. He be... didn't look guilty when he said that. I think he meant. I it. did. I did genuinely Wanker. mean it. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to be launching the uh, the startup scientist. We're going to be talking about navigating and building your scientific career using a, uh, a startup framework. Um, now, uh, should be have a few episodes coming up soon, um, and you can have some more more details there. But the big difference with this one, it's going to be short. They're going to be five to ten minute episodes. Um, but I'm going to share all the links um, and uh, give you a bit more information about that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Even I can handle a five ten minute thing. Yeah. It's only like five to ten minutes. Thought it was the uh, you know it's a perfect length between when you know when you're walking from the bus stop to to work or you know doing all that kind of stuff. So skiing home skiing, from the office. Skiing home, which uh, which isn't unusual in Oslo when you get a big dump of snow. I have seen it with my own eyes. People. Well, have you have you done it yet? Have you been a a, a member of this particular celebration? No, not not skiing home, but I ski when I get home. That's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. What in the backyard or something? Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a mini hill near where I live. The youth. Oh, there's not enough yetis in Oslo. We've got all this snow and all these people who need eating, and they're just completely free of abominable snowmen. It's not happening. Ridiculous. Ah, oh, I've only had two cups of coffee, Dan. Where's your where's your coffee cup? Uh, the coffee cup is not here, and we've started now, so I'm going to have to in the the absence of uh, we, we should make anything. some um we should make some coffee mugs with the uh the podcast logo on it. It would have to be a very large coffee mug. Yeah, we can we can um, do that. And it would have to have gradations on the side of what happens at each individual level. Uh. I think, yeah, there's probably found in some Zappos sort of stall has probably got them, but they're probably marked out for soup, which I consider <laughs> to be a colossal lack of ambition on the part of a 
Apparently, Teddy Roosevelt used to have an enormous coffee cup that he drank out of. That's actually what got me interested in it in the first really? place. Really? Yeah. Wow. yeah. Can you believe that? No, I'm not. I'm not. No, don't don't give me this. Don't give me skeptical face. I'll I'll look it up. Yeah, he was, look uh, it up. He was very well known for. Is there any images? He was of very the, uh... well known for drinking uh, a ridiculous amount of coffee and uh, being like hyper most of the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there are any images that necessarily exist of this coffee <laughs> So it's more cup. hearsay. Uh, his son said he had a, a coffee cup that was more in the nature of a bathtub. Okay. Yeah. There's got to be a picture somewhere, though. <laughs> my my kind of present. Where are your goals? Yeah, that's, that, it's, yeah, it's, well, better than the current crop of miscreants and half-wits. <laughs> Someone who at least had the decency to have a good moustache and be heavily caffeinated. That's the basis of my political thinking. So, what are we? What are we going to talk about today? We're going to be. Um, we're going to be. Yeah, go on. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a very good question. I'm glad you asked that, Daniel. <laughs> he said in a way that was utterly predictable. Um, uh, it's a. Uh, we're going to talk specifically about. Something that happens occasionally within a lot of the different branches of the sciences that I've chosen to call what happens if it's all wrong. As in, what if you're working with a particular model or a particular experiment or a particular interface and you don't have a bad experiment or a bad day, but the ass completely falls out of what you're doing. Great. Say you were trialing a drug. And then after the first series of, uh, after the first series of animal trials and phase twos and things like that, you get it and you put it in a trial and other people start buying into it and you get your patent sorted out, you own the intellectual property and you, you start, uh, you start selling it like a re- reagent sort of level to people who want to trial it and it all gets very exciting and you, you try it out in the first sort of, uh, phase three kind of trial, the really important evidence and absolutely nothing happens. Goose egg. Absolutely nothing. Totally indistinguishable from a placebo or just a spoonful of corn flour or a kick in the ass. This happens, and it happens to a degree that's, I, I think, not talked about. I think it's a difficult thing for people to admit that occasionally, not the experiment goes wrong, but the rationale for doing the experiment doesn't exist in the first place yeah. uh, and the the bottom just falls out of the entire enterprise and you have to go and pick another field to start again what are some that's good pretty, examples that's pretty full on don't do the can thing just talk about no i'm serious no, already I'm, I'm, chosen. I'm, no i'm serious like all right historically oh you mean well like like an alternative example yeah. Well, my my favorite one from my stuff would probably be QT dispersion. You remember that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, uh, QT dispersion is a, a thing that was very popular in electrocardiology. Uh, cardiography. God, James. Um, maybe, I'd say, it started to tail off uh, 15 years ago yeah. or so. The previous 15 to 20 years before that, very popular. It's the idea that uh, when you have a electrical trace of the massed... Uh, neuronal movement of the heart which is an ecg the thing that we look at all the time to determine uh your cardiac circulatory autonomic parameters etc uh the 
the, the phases have names and the distance from the wave at the very start of the depolarization to the very end of the repolarization, which is the interval from the Q wave to the T wave. Mm. You can, um, we can put a link in so people can yeah. look at this stuff. QT dispersion was the amount of summative difference there was between the smallest Q to T interval and the biggest Q to T interval. The idea being if your heart is repolarizing in a way that is abnormal, then you have some kind of horrible problem and that we can predict this from the QT interval. There's only one problem with that as an idea after they did, oh, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years worth of uh, serious work. There's only one problem with it. Didn't work? Yeah, didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how, did they, how did they actually get to that point? Was it a case of, okay, we've, we've seen uh, study after study after study and let's just go, no. Nah. You know, was there some sort of consensus statement, or at what point did they people actually go, "No, this isn't a thing"? Um, the turning point was that there was a, a Marid Malik, who is a very well-known uh, cardiology guy, wrote a paper in about the year two thousand, uh, whose title I ripped off uh, twelve years later. Um, when he did a, a QT a QT dispersion. Uh, time for an obituary. Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, it, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I used the phrase obituary to describe um, later, to describe sympathetic uh, models of sympathetic stimulation from the heart, which is frankly ridiculous that people are still using those. But let's not get into, into details. <laughs> the whole problem is simply the fact that what you're measuring doesn't have the acuity that you think it does. It's like saying, I want to measure the height of my door but I've only got a meter ruler and it's only got, like, it doesn't have any gradations marked. So if I measured my door here, I'd go, oh, it's two meters. And then I start comparing domestic dwellings to commercial dwellings. And people go, well, look, I'm sure the height of a door is a real thing, but your ability to discriminate one from the other is so crap that there's almost no point in opening your mouth. Yeah. And like everything, there's a few initial results that work well. People get quite excited. It's very easy to measure because lots of this data already exists. Um, it has a very solid rationale and uh, repolarization indices. Don't Google them. They're terribly boring, but they are very important and they are pretty good. In other contexts, we won't get into it telling you whether or not someone's going to die. So the ass fell out of the entire enterprise one day. The people turned around and went, hang on, this has no prognostic ability. This mm. doesn't tell us what we think it does. We set it upright, but it just doesn't work. So who's doing studies on this stuff right now? I can't off the top of my head think of anyone. There may be people who are still working on it, but the consensus really changed. Yeah? Yeah. So that's a that's a pretty good example of something where it all just went, Clang. Well, today we're looking at something which uh, could also go clang. Yeah. <laughs> we we don't know. Can that can that become the official terminology? Go, of something going clang? going clang. What do you got, Dan? What could what could potentially be going clang? Clangus. Clangus. It could be transcranial direct current stimulation, also known as TDCS. Yeah, cute acronym. Yeah, so we've had, um, over the past week, there's been a ton of people on social media talking about a cadaver. Well, it was more a study on a cadaver, um, and uh, it was actually a presentation at a conference where 
the basic gist of it was that TDCS might not actually work. Now, the whole idea around TDCS is that you're stimulating your brain with a low current. Typically, it's around 1 to 2 milliamps. I believe 2 is the uh, agreed-upon safe limit. And you apply a current from a positive anode to a negative anode. And it's thought to make the neurons in your brain more excitable. Um, and it's been tested, it's been, and it's been reported to improve a whole bunch of cognitive tasks like memory. I know it's been tested a lot for stroke and things like that. Um, but the general idea, or what was shared at this conference, uh, was that the typical intensity of one milliamp simply isn't enough as the as 90% of the actual current is lost through the scalp from doing this work on a cadaver. So, what do you mean lost through this? Well, rather than actually... Oh, right. Yeah, rather than okay. going through so the brain, the, it's going around. The, the current is because the skull is the skull. <laughs> the current yeah. being redirected, I suppose, by the skin. Exactly. And right. the idea here was, uh, the basic conclusion was, for there to be anything to be actually you know, happening, you would need at least 5 milliamps, which is beyond the to- tolerable limit. Now, I spoke to a colleague, and he said, if I was, you know, pushing it, I could maybe do 4. Beyond 4, things are getting really uncomfortable. Maybe if you anesthetize the head, you can go more than that. I think you will, um, and you would run into all sorts of other problems. Yeah. Um, specifically, because have you ever used a vestibular stimulator? Well, no. Um, it's uh, we can put a link to that in the description as well. It's yeah. doing exactly the same thing, only it's doing it at a, a bony patch behind your ear, and it's sending um, uh. We, we, we tried it as a model once for causing nausea in undergraduates who hated it. Yeah, it was great I've heard fun. about this. Um, yeah, uh, you, push, you push essentially uh, electricity between two electrodes that are, are activating the vestibular system and you do not need a lot of current. I think if you did that uh, across the scalp with 4 milliamps, your amount of vestibular stimulation would be pretty substantial. Yeah, that would suck. Um, I don't think you'd be able to stand up readily um because i've when i i tried even very low level uh vestibular stimulation it literally uh the 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 guy i was doing it with uh, had a little smile and then turned it on about halfway and i have a a a very strong i mean i get i get motion sickness i get uh, upset stomachs and stuff like that in cars i used to throw up when i was a kid um, and vestibular stimulation, <laughs> just I just waved from side yeah. to side and fell over. Yeah. So a substantial amount you would have, uh, you would have dizziness. You would probably have some kind of. You might get an upset stomach as well. It'd be pretty brutal. Mm. Um, so you, what you what you're saying is is that the 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 cadaver study in this sense uh, seems to indicate that. Every time people have been doing this, according to the accepted stimulation parameters, it appears to be underpowered. Yeah. So. All so the- what? I mean, the, how how much research exists on this stuff already, Captain Psychiatry? Well, quite a bit. Uh, people have used it for. I think a lot of the early stuff was actually on stroke. Um, people who are losing memory, so older people as well. Um, I think there's been a few studies with, with depression. All of these things have shown 
you know, what the authors would describe as modest improvements. So they're statistically significant, but whether they're clinically significant is a uh, is a different uh, is a different story. Um, you know, and then you have all these uh, all these biohackers, which are now you know buying cheap devices online. You can even make your own TDCS device. With that a, shouldn't be that shouldn't be very hard at all. No, you can. All you need is a is a nine volt battery, and uh, you know a few bits some of saline and some washing pads and some wires. Yeah. And um, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't, geez, reco- even... wouldn't recommend it though. Um, just you just need to do a a, a Google of um, TDCS gone wrong, and uh, you know you'll find a few photos of burnt oh, foreheads. Man, it goes wrong in the normal in the normal studies. You have people with hot spots and um. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're using a using a wet towel. The towel dries out. You're trying it for twenty, thirty minutes at a time, something like that. Uh, yeah, look, you're gonna. Uh, let me guess. Let me guess. I haven't seen this. Uh, I must admit, in full disclosure, he did tell me about it before. And the reason I'm not laughing my ass off right now is because I've already got it out of my system. <laughs> I just find it hilarious. There's people out there burning holes in their own heads. Um, I look. I, I appreciate your commitment to the scientific endeavor, but you've got to do your background before you plug your head up to the mains power. You know, you just a little <laughs> bit more, little bit more care, little, little bit more care. Um, maybe maybe one of those uh, good online courses in electrical engineering or just plain old Googling around a bit until someone gives you the advice not to run electricity through your own But the, these, these people want to start reciting... <laughs> they want to start reciting pi to 100 decimal places, so they're, they're, just, they're just turning up the... Uh, you know, turning up the, the, the milliamps. But how is that... Why? What? They want so they want to improve their memory. I mean, memory. Memory is uh, is one of the main things that it's purported to improve. And that's the, and that's the the, that's what they aspire to. Well, well I mean, is that a specific example? Was one. I hope it isn't. No, they don't, they want to recite Pi to a hundred, but they just want to improve their memory. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I've got a terrible memory. I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. A lot of stuff is not worth remembering. <laughs> but Do you remember what you ate three Thursdays ago? No, no, no who chance. cares? But at, at the same time, um, it's not some weird cowboy industry. There are actually safe um, bits of equipment, um, which are expensive because they're safe for human use. Um, and the really uh, yeah, your device testing on that is the expensive part. It's not yeah. the ability to build it in the first instance. There's no. a few very normal sorts of safeguards that all of these sorts of machines have. But then if you've got to put it through testing for human use, wow, yeah, that costs way, way more money than your 9-volt battery ever will. Yeah. Uh, so these things, um, you know, using these devices um, is, uh, you know, relatively safe. As far as I know, um, if you use it to the specifications, there's, there's been no uh, major adverse events. It could be wrong. If I am, let me know. Um, but yeah, um, speaking... I think um, what counts as a major adverse event, you mean we've pushed someone into a psychotic breakdown or we've burned a big hole in their head? No, I mean... Because I don't think the first one's happened, but the second one definitely has. I heard some horrible stories about cowboy idiots doing this stuff and not knowing yeah, how to handle it. Yeah, but this is this is cowboy stuff. But if you're doing it, you know, according to how it should be done, um, so, some of my local colleagues actually do TDCS and I spoke to them and uh, and they've said, yeah... Are they, are they, are they officially terrified? Uh, of the cadaver stuff? No. So they're, they're of the thought that, well, you know, anything to actually improve how it's done is, is a good thing. And um, just be- What if the improvement's not doing it? Yeah, but the, the whole idea is, well, just... So they're going to keep doing it anyway because you can justify it. Well, they're going to keep doing it anyway because past studies have actually shown some evidence that it works. And this study 
it, it doesn't that it was a it was a it was a cadaver you know there, there was no actually no actual test of any of any endpoint all this did was it would raise some questions about the actual mechanisms behind what's happening um so they want to keep investigating hmm all right yeah. let's take a break and after the break i'm going to yell at you heaps back in action halfway through everything hurts podcast number nine you can find us at hurts podcast on twitter you can find us at oh just search the name in facebook i'm not doing that voice anymore you can find dan in a gutter yada 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 (laughs) thingamajig who's been nice to us tell them the nice people yeah, so thank you to people who have said nice things about us. We really appreciate it. We appreciate the fact that people are spending the time to actually listen to what we have to say. That's uh, yeah. that's really cool. Um, so over the past week, we've had some um, yeah, a lot of people sharing our podcast uh, at Psych Brief and uh, at James Jansen, um, who's a researcher in the states, but um, mentioned that you know he enjoys hearing some some Aussie accents. Um, and also to um, at um, no fucking worry. Yeah, guys. yeah, we 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 can uh, we can turn it on, can't we? <laughs> Mick Dundee here. Um, How are you going? Uh, down talk about science yeah. all day, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, we 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 can do that all day. Um, Let's not. And um, and also to at Amir Effen as well. So thanks a lot. Uh, and what about Facebook, James? Have we had any uh, nothing from? Yeah, people have shared our stuff on Facebook, so we we really appreciate that appreciate that as well. Because uh, yeah, if uh, if you're enjoying our podcast, then chances are your friends will enjoy it as well. So share away on Facebook and on Twitter, and uh, and let people know about uh, about everything hurts. Uh, you can also harass your friends in an uncomfortable manner yeah. until Dan is famous. <laughs> uh, you can also email us at everythinghurtspodcast at gmail.com. Send us requests about stuff that you want us to talk about. That would be great. So today we have been talking about transcranial direct current stimulation or TDCS. Does it work? And uh, and what does it mean? An area of which uh, neither of us are experts in. Let's be perfectly honest. Yeah. Neither of us really do neuro stuff. No. Um, but um, that's not going to stop us from having a go. Look, I, w- I want to bring something up about how this... I want to bring something up first. Uh, go. You go first. Oh, wow. He never does that. Um, no, you go. All right. So I'm giving it back to you. Okay. So I want to bring up how this was actually reported. So obviously this came about on Twitter... Um, people were talking, look at this thing, it doesn't work. Now, uh, not only it was, it was a conference, stuff's usually shared at conferences, um, which isn't peer-reviewed, uh, but this wasn't actually the topic, the main topic of the presentation. It was more of a side note. And I've managed to only find one slide online actually describing what was happening. So I, I just want to imagine if it was actually the opposite result that was reported in the media. That let's just say they were in a conference somewhere, someone reported uh, one TDCS session was found to improve trust in the same manner. Uh, from one slide in the, in the presentation that wasn't peer reviewed, people would lose their mind 
you know, that oh, I can't believe we're actually, you know, this, w- this wasn't a peer-reviewed result. This was, this was preliminary. Why are we reporting this? So my question is, why don't we actually hold this negative stuff to the same standard? Why are we so quick to jump on this doesn't work? Versus, oh, because that's um that's extremely popular right now. Yeah, people love hating on stuff. Um, so oh yeah, are you were gonna use the like the Beyonce science <laughs> defense or something. No, no, no. Yeah, no. it's not. It's not. It's yeah. Look, we, there's there's been a long period that we're still in of the collective reevaluation of scientific. Yeah. Stuff. Which is great, and I'm all for it. And it, yeah, and it crosses a lot of boundaries. It goes between a lot of different areas. There's um, with a, a number of different uh, cancer biology, um, molecular bio, psych, general medical science stuff. There's been all these issues with replication. Yeah. Um, there's all these issues with publication bias and p hacking, and no, how no, much no, but, of but... it is bullshit. We don't know. So obviously, into this environment, we are inserting what appears to be a fairly rigid demonstration that something that we thought was a certain way isn't. But this is a very good point that you make. Is this some kind of blanket sort of devaluation of the whole thing? I'm guessing no. But, but... It is also, in my estimation, an area where people haven't expressed appropriate cynicism. Yeah, yeah, I'll pay that. Um, and there's lots of quotes there. There's, a, there's a, at least two that I can think of that I've seen somewhere. People who work in it saying, yeah, look, a lot of the research that's been done with this method, because it's relatively new mm. still, people are figuring out the parameterization. These things happen in multi-year cycles. That's how long it takes to fund something, plan it, do it, and report it. So how fast do you really expect it to go? You can't just get people in your battery and test it out however the hell you want. And, um, you know, it has to be done according to a process. The process takes time. Mm. Um, so, look, there's been... a. Uh, there's been some people who go, this is some kind of reckoning. Yeah. Um, but is it a matter of, I mean, is it going to turn into the QT dispersion of the brain? My my suspicion is no. But um, there's a really great quote from, oh, some business theorist. I can't remember who it was, but it's fantastic and it applies really well to science. I will find this out and put it in the show notes yeah. as well. So when you're doing the editing, you remind oh. me to find this damn quote. People overreact in the short term and underreact in the long yeah. term. So, there's, and this things they've got little names for all the things that are happening. So something happens, it's very interesting. People think it has promise. It's a good way to market yourself as being the new contemporary interesting person. You adopt it. You read all the the theories about why it should work with insufficient skepticism. You go completely off the ends of the earth with it. You become something of a disciple of what it's supposed to work. And then everyone gets their fingers burnt and gets massively disappointed. And because it doesn't live up to its self-generated hype, people throw out all the bad stuff and all the good stuff as well. Yeah, I think, is this the hype cycle you're, you're referring to? Is that what it's called? I think, yeah, it's called the hype cycle where you have... You can turn that into, um, like, Dan's, Dan's business tits, whatever the thing is called. <laughs> that could be a, that could be an episode of the, the, the thing. Well, we've actually written a, a paper, um, uh, me, uh, me and uh, sometimes collaborator, that we've collaborated with, Gail, Al- Gail Alvarez, 
Hi Gail. Hi Gail. Uh, I, know, I, I like know, working I, with you. I, You're very patient. I know she's a she's a listener. We've actually um, put together a paper which is currently under review, which is the oxytocin hype cycle, where it's this idea that we had this initial uh, excitement from genuinely well run animal studies, incredible hype. This is going to fix everything, and we're going to be dropping oxytocin bombs everywhere. And then we realise it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work in the way that we think it works. Disapp- oh, the way that, uh, the, that injecting it into voles is not the same as stuffing it <laughs> up the nose of intact autistic people? Yeah. Um, yeah, so did, who knew? Who knew? Disappointment. But like you said, um, now we're actually figuring out when it does work and when it doesn't work. And you have what is termed in the hype cycle terminology as the um, period of enlightenment. Sounds all very, you know... Oh, very special. And then you hit a plateau of productivity where it's actually, you know, the, the technology is used for what what, huh. what it can actually do. So it, this is typically used for um, for almost any new technology, um, self-driving cars, um, Siri or voice activation. You know, remember, you know, 10 years ago, we thought this is going to save everything. We're going to be writing all our essays using dictation software. We realize, oh, okay, maybe it doesn't work great. It totally garbles all the words we're saying. But um, now we're kind of reaching a point of, okay, we understand its limits and what it can and can't do. That's your hype cycle. And, um, you know, I... Th- oh, okay. Yeah, look, I've... Uh, Gartner. The Gartner. That's the yeah. one. Now, that's a company, not a person. I thought it was a person. Okay, there you go. Um, I don't like any of these names. We're going to have to... Um, we're going to have to rename all this stuff. Technology trigger. Peak of inflated expectations. The trough of disillusionment. That's good. Could be better. Slope of enlightenment. Plateau of productivity. I've got half of them right from memory. Mm, okay. Technology trigger. Bright idea. Yeah. Peak of inflated expectations. Let's call that one Mount Bullshit. <laughs> trough of disillusionment. Um, we'll go John Bunyan on that and call that the Slough of Despond. That's awesome. Um, slope of enlightenment can be the slow return to sanity. Yeah. Plateau of productivity is the unfundable zone because no one thinks it's interesting anymore. There you go. Done. That's the science version. Done. So ev- Stick it in your pocket. Every single new treatment can be put somewhere along this hype cycle. We'll, we'll put a picture of the hype cycle because it's actually visually it's, it's pretty cool. Um, but it looks like uh, at the moment we're, we've, we haven't quite hit the peak with TDCS, but this is the first sort of sign of hang on a minute. Maybe we're over. This is so. Yeah, are, are we past the zero of the second uh, of the of the first derivative? Yeah, pretty much. Are we past Mount Bullshit? No, there's going to be more. Well, I don't know. Maybe this kind of study. I think if, if this is going to happen and people are going to be so eager to talk about it, then maybe we're on the part where the positive gradient is slowing. Yeah, I think that's it. And I think a lot of this comes down oh, to... Oh, hang on, but it doesn't hook up. There's no inflection. We're not going to talk no. about that. That's okay. People can't see your fingers. To... But I, I think, you know, for me, like, I'm, I'm in this because we've been experiencing this with oxytocin about where we're at. And a lot of the problem with oxytocin is that we're claiming that it does a thing that scientists a few years ago actually agree, yeah, it doesn't do it. And that's trust. The first thing that came out was that oxytocin improves trust Right, yeah. So, what, yeah, I yeah, remember we we talked about this before. Yeah. Like, there's there's uh, there's plenty of interesting results for a lot of other stuff, and you might expect it. It's an active neuropeptide. We stuff people full of it. We don't expect it to be completely inert. It's just yeah. we're trying to figure out exactly what effect it has on very macro level things like sort of whole organism behaviors. 
the thing that it really doesn't seem to do anything for is trust. And that was the first sort of hug-related, if you remember, <laughs> just the, the fire hose of insufferable lovey bullshit that came out when people were originally interested in the whole cuddle hormone love drug sack of bollocks. That stuff is the stuff that's really busted. So, yeah, and that, that's true. And, uh, you know, scientists have largely abandoned the whole trust idea. Yet, when you have people like, you know, e- every every few months, one of these, you know, uh, one of the, some outlet or some person somewhere will gleefully go, look at oxytocin, it's stupid, it doesn't work. Only looking at the trust stuff, it's doing it a big disservice to the stuff that actually um, has been shown, at least within animals and careful human studies, time and time again uh, to uh, to work. Of course, there's so much more you know stuff we need to learn um but i wonder whether it's the same thing with tdcs is that um there's been a few meta-analyses that i'm aware of that have come out to say you know what this may not work um but um perhaps they're actually looking at yeah the wrong... you know you know that there's plenty of i mean they're controversial but there's plenty of people who've got broad scale treatments of relatively normal stuff like uh antidepressants uh, uh, arthroscopic uh, like uh, treatment of the knee, mm. uh, various different forms of operations that are perfectly common, uh, non-laparoscopic treatment of hernias. There's, there's been a, a lot of like broad, broad scale studies of studies that are concluding that stuff that we do all the time that we assume to have value isn't actually right now. There's of course there's a lot of controversy about that. Yeah. What I'm saying is that if you run if you run a a, a meta analysis and say oh if we, we aggregate these forty studies, we don't think it works. Well, it's not in, it's not by itself. It has a lot of company in that regard. Mm. Is my point. Yeah. And the company is a lot of stuff that people would find conventionally acceptable. Mm. Yeah. No, you're, you're so right. And uh, a lot of these meta analyses have been saying that yeah, it doesn't work. And then when I mentioned that to one of my colleagues, um, he, he said, "Well, yeah, because that meta-analysis was look that that particular meta-analysis was looking at TDCS alone, whereas what most people are doing um, is TDCS plus some form of treatment. Uh, if you're looking at stroke, for instance, you're looking at TDCS plus uh, some sort of rehabilitation. That's what people are looking at. So when they're saying it doesn't work, perhaps they're looking at the wrong thing. And it comes down to this idea that well, just because we don't understand the mechanism." doesn't mean that this thing doesn't work. There's, okay. Yeah. Here's something here's something else to I'm gonna make two points now that are somewhat oblique to this. And they're both about the placebo effect. Now if you study it and you remember you probably don't remember actually, my whole masters was thinking about the placebo effect. And how it works. It's one of the things that got me interested in methodology because it's such a vicious bastard of a thing to fully understand. Mm. The most effective placebos are things that present as active stimulations. Sure. So, let's say you have horrible anxiety. I mean, you probably do. I assume under that calm exterior, <laughs> you're a, a roiling sea of self-hatred. <laughs> So, let's say you've got that, and I test two things on you. One is a pill that's full of cornstarch, 
and the other is a pill that's full of uh, something with a good solid side effect, like uh, atropine sulfate or that uh, better do it. Yeah, but one of the one of the the drowsier antihistamines would be a good one. Now they're not going to do anything for your anxiety. Yeah, mm. nothing. But if I tell you that it's going to work, which one's more convincing? Oh, the second one, obviously. Well, the answer is, of course, the one that's got side effects. That's an active placebo. Second point, um, they've consistently found in different placebogenic studies that the fancier and newer something is, the more it comes across as, well, look at that. That's amazing. Look at it. It's got space lasers on it. Look at it go. Um, the more credence something like that has for being hyper-technological and modern, mm. etc., the more effective it is as a placebo as well. So there are two very strong placebogenic factors in its favor. Now, obviously people who do this research, one of the first things that they've had to come up with is how do we placebo control for something where it's active? It's easy enough with a drug sometimes if you're using a low dose. You don't have enough side effects and mm. people are already feeling terrible. You have one versus the other. Maybe it doesn't do anything, whatever. But it's difficult when, like I said before, you're going to get... Uh, you might get phosphines as you've got any current going behind your eyes. You might get... Uh, you might get vestibular stimulation yeah you might get a little bit of soreness or if the people doing the research are stupid you might get some redness or some burning um i suppose it'd be would it be the cathodal site i i don't know um one of the holes you burn a big hole in your head it doesn't matter to you whether it's the anode or the cathode you have a hole in your head so it's really difficult to control something like this away completely Mm. and this point was made to me. You know, I like to do... If there's studies available to do, one of my... I like to volunteer my time to go and do studies. I think it's really... Even if people aren't paying me, because it's part of the process of seeing how other people run stuff, how it works, etc. And I did a TMS study once. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And... Because of the way that they they control for the thing, they they put it with TMS for people who um from our sordid little world, is where they get a very large magnetic coil, and they shoot a very strong magnetic field at the outside of your head, hoping to alter a specific area of neuronal activity. Um, I would say it fits into the TDCS sort of milieu mm. as. Something that is, a set of, you know, it's, it has a sort of a knock-on neurological effect, we hope. Uh, it's relatively modern. There's probably some good work on it. There's definitely a lot of bullshit work on it. Um, this study in particular, as much as it had a placebo control, it was very obvious which one was which. Huge, huge, huge problem. Attention. Yeah. So what they did was they get the machine to make the right noise, but they flip the, he- they flip the head around so the, the magnetic field's going in the wrong direction. Mm. Or sometimes they set it up and they do the first 30 seconds. You can feel the way. It feels like someone knocking on your head with a toffee hammer. It's kind of... Uh, it doesn't hurt or anything. Mm. It's just kind of weird. 
So they do that for the first 30 seconds, and then they either eventually ramp it down until there's no stimulation whatsoever, while the machine's still making the right noise, or they flip the head around, so because it's behind your head, you can't see it. Yeah. They flip the head around so the magnetic field is going in a different direction completely. Now, the problem with that, obviously, is when they tell you how it's going to feel, that doesn't fit with your experience of how it's supposed to feel right from the start. Mm. So you go, hang on a minute, this isn't what I was expecting at all. Why did it go away? Unless they're actually lying to you. The problem is, and when if they do that first, and then they do the actual condition where they stick the magnetic coil on you, and you get the toffee hammer every couple of seconds for the next 20 minutes, at that point in time, you're absolutely certain that you're getting the active stimulation, because it feels really different to the non-stimulation that you just had. Mm. If you do it the other way around, it will be even more obvious. Yeah? So you have to deal with some difficult level of unblinding when the the amount of something that you get there is a direct association between the amount of current or the amount of the 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 strength of the magnetic field or the size of the dosage mm. is directly related to the uh the side effects that you feel yeah you know so one they could go oh we did it we did a sham stimulation with 0.5 milliamps cool okay no problem and then we did the real one with two well the problem is they feel different mm. um there's no i mean look there are let's not go any further into it there are more there are other ways around this but controlling these things in the first instance super hard is very very difficult which is why that the model that you just said where we go we, we take active stimulation and we we run it over the top of something else at least you have more options when you do that yeah from a perspective, uh, methodological perspective, you have, you, have, you have a lot more options because you've got gradations of the other thing. Maybe it depends on uh, what else you're doing. Or you know that it's an active stimulation, but you don't tell people how much they're supposed to be getting. So people are blinded to the the effectiveness ratio. So, oh, you need it once every six weeks. And someone else comes in, and you go, oh, you need it once every two days. And they just go, cool, that's normal. Yeah, yeah. So their expectation is it will do it will do as much as it does. So everyone is, but you assume, experiencing something of the same kind of placebo effect. Not double blind anymore, of course. What I'm saying is you have the ability to dick around with it from a methodological perspective. Yeah. So I don't envy people who have to work out the answers to these problems because I'm not pretending that there's lots of really good, like, oh, well, we've solved that now. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do it that way forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if you did believe the manufacturers, they... That the top end stuff they claim to be act, to be able to successfully blind the active versus sham, uh, you can even actually match the same sensations on the forehead. But you have the same sort of problem. Is I'm not sure you're able to maintain that once you start hitting the more active doses. Well, yeah, it's a yeah. it's a direct equivalent of uh, of drugs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can't make the drugs work for twenty minutes and then stop. Yeah. It's uh yeah look it's um it's it's super it's super difficult the fact that a lot of stuff is um I don't think it's just some researchers really do not think sufficiently about how blinding works oh like so much time we spent with our oxytocin trials which was we used a double dummy as well um, yeah so we had to do a double dummy for for both the intranasal and intravenous 
So, Could you please explain to people what that is? Yes. You're doing it again. I'm doing You're it doing again. It, it's it's, it's dansplanation. <laughs> dansplanation. So a double dummy is when you actually have two different administration modes of some sort of treatment or intervention. Um, because we were comparing intravenous and intranasal, um, if we didn't actually have... Um, if, if every single visit participants didn't get both an intravenous administration of something and intranasal of something it would be pretty obvious as to when they're actually getting the intravenous or intranasal. So what we did was we had four conditions and for each condition, people got intravenous and intranasal. This was good from a scientific perspective, but it was a pain in the ass administratively. Um, and when it comes lots to... Lots of visits. Lots of visits. And I actually had to... We actually had to hire a nurse whose only job, because someone had to know um, which was the correct IV bag. We could successfully blind the um the the nasal spray from from the pharmacy, um, but somebody needed to actually do that. So we had one nurse whose job was just to come in and mix the bags and then do that in a separate room and then give us the bags. So we were truly uh, blinded as to which was what. But you know we got some cool outcomes. But um you know it, it shows you and we 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 spent so much time figuring out. Because um, each spray gives a different um, a different dosage, so we had so we we can't tell one person to do tw- uh, six sprays and another to do another to do three. Another consideration. So it's it's crazy, but um, you you need to do it. Mm. So now, yeah, man, that's that's brutal. Yeah, it's it's, it's really brutal. Um, but mm. uh, you know, but it's just like I think people people fail to. I mean, everyone people who know a little bit about science this happens a lot i suppose people who like exercise physiology nutrition people i'm looking right at you right now you do this all the time you sack of orange swine they love to bitch about how things weren't done right yeah (laughs) in the absence of ever having to do them right to make the funding and facilities and stuff available to make things as good as they humanly could be yeah well, why open your mouth in the first place? But well, what do you expect me to do? I'm a PhD student on a stipend. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. Oh, it could have been better. Everything could be better. Mm. Acknowledge your limitations and move on, yeah. you whiny bitches. <laughs> so true. Uh, well, that's my being. I had a massive cranky uh, last week, and Dan cut the whole thing out of the podcast, yeah. which is <laughs> such a relief. Yeah, I should, actually, I, should, I should actually save all these, and once we hit maybe hit some milestone, maybe thirty episodes, we'll just release a um, bits that we cut out. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be something? No, I'm going to prison if everything I've actually said. <laughs> Li- libel, the, 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 the whole thing. Libel, slander, <laughs> threats. Um, yeah. yeah, like, uh, what's it? Uh, demanding money with menaces. Um, <laughs> the the, the yeah, whole thing. The whole box and dice. So, yeah, the, the, there's our promise. If, if we have enough support from, from the listeners that we hit 30 episodes... <laughs> If we hit thirty, we're gonna end. A, we're gonna end a podcast of all my horrible, yeah. ranty bitchiness that's been cut out. The last bit of that podcast <laughs> is just gonna be a supercut. Jay G- loves supercuts, but it's gonna just be a supercut of just the stuff that we cut out. Oh dear. That's uh, that's our that's our promise. Episode thirty. So uh, you know what to do, folks. No, uh, you just you just committed me to making a lot more podcasts as well. That was very smooth. That was very smooth. <laughs> I also, I would also like a tiny bit of credit for in the in the tra- tradition of silly words on the internet with the uh, the new word dan splain. 
Are you going to claim which that? Is, which is, yep, that's now, that's, that's in the lexicon Hashtag now. Uh, d- dance-blaming. Which is where you immediate, which is where you leave out huge chunks of the explanative background and then just go sailing narrowly into explaining complicated interrelationships between ideas that are without context whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, something to something to improve on. Uh, yeah. That's all right. I'm still working on not sounding like I'm going to commit a massacre before midday. So <laughs> we all we all have our cross to bear. We all do. And we think we can leave it there, can't we? Let's leave it there. Thanks for thanks for listening and getting this far, everyone. Um, we will. Um, we'll. You'll hear us soon. Bye for now. You will. You can't avoid it. <laughs> See y'all. Bye.